Amen, amen. Well, we've been in Ephesians chapter number six uh, for a couple of weeks, and we're going to continue in this morning. We're going to look at a different aspect of this, but what we're looking at is the armor of God and how vital the armor of God is to our lives, the armor of God. Now, anytime you're engaged in battle, you should or you ought to have some armor. If you're, if you're engaged in a battle and you're not armored, then you're just ready to get whooped, Amen. And none of us like to get whooped. Uh, so this morning, we're going to look at the armor of God. And what? And I want you to know this as we get into it. God makes the armor of God available for you. You don't have to do anything special for it. You just have to receive it by faith and walk in it. Amen? And one uh, teacher that I, I know, he said the armor of God is like a, an astronaut suit or a scuba suit. He said it's all one piece. It all has to function together. You can't have one aspect of it and not the rest. It's just like a jumpsuit. Uh, but beginning in verse number 10 is where we're going to start out at. So Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 10. The word of God says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I want you to know first and foremost before we get into this, that God never tells you to be strong in yourself. God tells you to be strong in him. Don't rely on your own strength. Don't rely on your own intellect. Don't rely on your own gumption. It's only when you surrender that God can do something in your life. Amen? It's the weak that he makes strong. Amen? So when God says be strong in the Lord, it, it is a point where you surrender to God and you say, okay, God, I give up. I can't do it on my own anymore. I've been trying and trying and trying. I can't do it. And God says, finally, I got someone to work with. Finally, I got somebody that's come to the end of their rope. And you know how many of us are hard-headed? We just keep trying on our own strength. We just keep trying and trying and trying, and we judge ourselves on how good we've done. Amen? God never called you to do that. God told you to be strong in him. Amen? So the surrender is the key to this. It, it, everything from this point forward is about your willingness to submit to God's working in your life. If you're not willing to submit to that, you're not going to be walking in the armor of God. You're going to get whooped when the battle comes to you. You're going to lose every single time. So the, the key to this whole thing starts with us having a heart of surrender to God. Amen? And, and that is a question. And look, Nobody can teach you, right? This is, this is, it's not like you got to fill out a worksheet on how to surrender. It's a heart issue. This is a point where you go to God and you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do things your way. You lead me, you guide me, you teach me, you show me, Lord, and I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to follow you. Wherever you say go, I'll go. Whatever you say to do, Lord, I'll do. You want me to pray, I'll pray. You want me to read, I'll read. You want me to share the gospel, I'll share the gospel. You want me to shut my mouth, I'll shut my mouth, Lord. Amen? Sometimes it's good to shut your mouth. God knows what he's doing better than us. And so um, here it says to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So I don't know, you know, how I cannot emphasize this strong enough, but before you even get to the armor of God part, it's a submission part on us. Amen? That's a heart thing. So before we even get to the other, the good part, right? Everybody, we get to the good part. But the main part is an act of surrender. And then in verse number 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against 
the wiles of the devil. And again, that's the trickery. That's the, and I want you to know this, is that the enemy wants to trick you, right? This, that's his goal, is to trick you. Well, why? Why me? Well, he's your enemy. He's not God's enemy. He's your enemy. God, God created him. God is the creator. Amen? God created Lucifer. Lucifer fell, and Lucifer hates you and me. We didn't write it, but that's how it is. He, the, the Lord says, your enemy, the devil, right? He seeks whom he may devour, walking about as a roaring lion. So he's our enemy. And in uh, the next verse, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now, as we get into this, let me, let me briefly say this, and we're going to get back to a couple of these points, but first and foremost, the whole armor of God. God never called you to, to do it in your own strength, and he does not tell you to take the piece of the armor of God that you think is convenient. He tells you to take the whole armor of God. And I want to give you a little clue as to how God wants you to do this. The whole armor of God is holy. The whole armor of God is holy. It's the holy armor of God. God calls you to be set apart from the world. Everything that God does in your life, it sets you apart from the world. It sets you apart from the darkness. Amen? What communion has light and darkness? What communion has Christ and Belial, right? What communion has us with the world? We've been called to be set apart from the things of the world. Now, that doesn't mean that you never go out into the world. Amen? It just means you're not a part of it. You may be in it. You are required to be in it. God called you to be in it, but not of it. And if the church can get that right, we'll get on the right track, number one, right? So a lot of times we get it misconstrued. Some, some people think, well, I'm not supposed to be in the world, right? I'm not supposed to be in it because I, I don't want to be around those kind of people. How else are they going to hear the gospel? They need you to be around them. How else are they going to be? But you're not supposed to be of it. Now, how do you define the difference between being in it and of it? Well, that's where the Holy Spirit leads you. You've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you're born again, the Holy Spirit will tell you you're getting too close. Amen. The Holy Spirit will tell you when to stop, but you've got to be in the world, but not of the world. So it is the holy armor of God is the whole armor of God. In verse number 14, it says, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And this is where we're going to take our message at this morning is our loins are told to be girt about with truth. If we don't have truth, we don't have anything. One thing that we know is that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Isn't that what he said? And one of the things that we need to realize is that most every single religious leader said, I think I know the way, follow me. I think I know the way, follow me. But Jesus didn't say, I think I know the way. He said, I am the way. Amen? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he didn't claim to know truth. He claimed to be the truth. Big difference. Amen? Big difference. And one of the things that, that 
is you see in this passage that the battle that we're talking about, when we're talking about the armor of God, we're talking about this battle, this warfare that's going on, just a couple of verses above that, it said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So one of the things that we want to see in this battle is that it's not a fleshly battle. The enemy is not after your flesh, more or less. He's after your mind and your soul. One thing that the enemy wants to do is get in between your ears. And if he can get in between your ears, he can get down into your heart. Amen? Because once you, get in, once you allow the enemy to get in your mind, it's just a quick trip down into your heart. And what will happen is once he gets into your heart, you're going to become discouraged, despondent, and in despair. Amen? Discouraged, despondent, and in despair. Because once the enemy gets in our mind, it's just a short trip to the heart. So one of the things that we want to do is I want to take you to 2 Corinthians real quick, and we're going to cover this aspect of it. But first, as you're turning over there, just remember the, the portion that we're talking about this morning is about truth. Truth. Truth is Jesus. Truth is Jesus. But the enemy, the enemy wants to substitute, right, God's truth for a perversion of the truth. If you think back about the Garden of Eden, whenever the enemy uh, tempted Eve, one of the things that he did is he misconstrued what God said. In fact, he said, hath God said. And anytime somebody can get you to question what God really said, they've got you dead center in the enemy's crosshairs. If somebody can get you to question what God said, if you begin to question the Bible, you begin to question God's authority, you begin to question God, the enemy has you right where he wants you. And so we've got, like I said earlier at the beginning, we've got to get into this place where we submit. That's how we get into walking in his power. And, and part of submission is saying, God, I'm just going to believe what you said. Whatever you say, I'm going to believe, Lord. And one of the things that I want to show you as we go through this is how vitally important the truth is in our spiritual lives. So are you over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 10? Did I tell you chapter 10? Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to begin in verse number 3. I want to show you something in this passage. So 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3. You ready? Here we go. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Can I interject something right here? Some of y'all war after the flesh too much. Some of y'all are, are picking on Aunt Susie and, and, and Aunt so-and-so, and some of y'all are picking on your neighbor and letting somebody at work get under your skin. Some of y'all are getting, letting your boss get under your skin. Some of y'all are letting your spouse get or your kids get under your skin. But we've not been called to war after the flesh. That's not where the battle is. Amen? That's not where the battle is. People of our church, y'all know I say this all the time. One of my favorite quotes is Leonard Ravenhill. He said, if, if your enemy... If your enemy has a social security number, you've picked the wrong enemy. Your enemy doesn't have a social security number. The enemy is using that person with that social security number. You've got to, you've got to remember that. The enemy is going to use people to get under your skin. But your battle is not against that person. It's against the spirit behind that person. Okay? Know the difference. Know the difference. Is the spirit behind the person. So watch this. Though, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So God didn't call you to get a hammer and go hit your neighbor on the head. That's not your fight. God called you to pray for your neighbor. 
God called you not to hit your spouse in the head with a hammer, but to pray for your spouse. Amen? God called you to get on your knees and pray for them. If they're not right, quit, quit going on Facebook and blasting them. Get on your knees and lift them up to God. If, if there's things going on in our lives, we've got to get to that point where we understand that our war is on our knees. That's where the battle takes place. If we're not willing to engage in the battle in prayer, we're not engaged in the battle. Verse number four. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's not hammers. It's not even... It's not even blasting them on Facebook. Oh, you know that makes your flesh feel good. You know that makes your flesh feel good when you can pick up the phone or text somebody about somebody else and just tear them apart, right? It makes your flesh feel so good. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. The enemy wants you to indulge your flesh, not your spirit. If he can keep you in that flesh, he's got you whooped. That's not where the war is. That's not where the war is. In fact, he's getting you more tangled up. But the moment you begin to take your issues to the throne, the moment you begin to get down on your knees and plead before God for your loved ones, the moment you begin to get down on your knees and plead for your workplace, maybe it's your church, maybe it's your house, maybe it's your neighborhood, maybe it's your country. Maybe your country allows same-sex marriage. Maybe your country allows abortion all the way up to the day of birth and post-birth. Maybe your nation has run off course and instead of complaining about it, maybe God wants us to get on our face about it and bombard the throne with our pleas. Amen? One of the things that you see here, is, he says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. See, it, it's not a flesh thing, so you can't see it with your natural eye. You want to see things with your natural eye. You want to, you want to throw somebody under the bus on, fo on Facebook and let everybody comment on it, right? Because that will gratify your flesh. That's something you can see with your eyes. But it's not according to the flesh. That's not where the warfare is, right? But see, if we'll pray, it's going to pull down those strongholds. And look at verse number five, casting down imaginations. Where is an imagination? Where does an imagination come to our minds imaginations come to our minds that's why I said the enemy is after your mind if he can get to your mind he can get to your heart if he can get to your mind he can get to your heart casting down imaginations when was the last time you cast down an imagination that came in your head when was the last time you said that's an ungodly thought and you cast it down you know what when was the last time you said, God, I, I am going to make a covenant with my eyes not to look on that thing, not to think on that thing. I will not allow those kind of words to come out of my mouth. When, is it, when was the last time you cast down evil imaginations in your mind, right? Sometimes we got to do it on a minute-by-minute -minute basis. Sometimes you need to understand that you're in hand-to-hand -hand combat in your mind. The enemy is, is seeking to disable you. The enemy is seeking to disengage you from the battle. And the enemy is seeking to destroy you. Jesus said in John chapter 10, the enemy comes not to play. He, says, he said the enemy comes not to play, not to pretend, but to what? Steal, kill, and what? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy you and me. And I don't know about you, but 
he does a pretty good job, right? He does a pretty good job of stealing, killing, and destroying. He takes our peace away from us. He, he, he takes us away from where God's called us to be sometimes. Amen? So casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought. Everybody say every thought. Every thought that goes into your mind has got to do this, has got to be uh, taken captive. Take captive every thought to the obedience of of Christ so every thought that comes into our mind we've got to run it through this filter called the Spirit of God we've got to run it through this filter called the Word of God and if it is not a godly thought we've got to take it into captivity and bring it to the obedience of Christ we've got to learn to get into this thing where we say God that was an ungodly thought I don't know where it came from. I certainly didn't mean it, but that was an ungodly thought, and I, I just flat out reject that thing in the name of Jesus, Lord. I'm sorry. If you'll begin to do that, you'll have less and less of those. If you'll begin to do that, but if you're not willing to do that, guess what? The enemy's just going to keep firing them at you. Watch this. So you're going to take every thought to the obedience of Christ, and listen to this last verse 6. It says, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You see, one of the things that most people don't see is that in, in this warfare part, one of the keys is your willingness to obey God. If you're not willing to obey God, you're not ready for warfare. You're still going to get whooped, and you're going to stay in that place. You're going to stay right where you are until you're ready to obey God. Now, you may not know everything that there is to know, but if you'll be willing to take step one, God will meet you at step one. God never, tell, God never told you, right, to go from zero to 100. It's just one step of obedience at a time. If you'll be willing to take one step of obedience today, God will meet you in that step. God will meet you there. God is not here to bash you over the head with a hammer. God is here to bring grace and peace into your life. Grace and truth comes to us by Jesus Christ, right? The law came by Moses, grace and truth by Jesus, John chapter 1. And so I want you to know today that God is here, and he is here to bring grace into your life, but he needs you to obey him, even at the first step, right? Just the first step, Lord, I don't know anything else. I remember one, one of the guys I led to the Lord one time, he was um, in, in a relationship with somebody that wasn't his wife, right? And, and he led him to the Lord, and, and he said, now what am I supposed to do, Kenny? And I said, well, what is God telling you to do? I didn't tell him what to do. I said, what is God telling you to do? He said, well, I know it's not right what I'm doing with this girl. I know it's not right. I said, well, what should you do? He said, I'm taking her back to her mom's house. And he did. I didn't tell him what to do. He, he just obeyed God in one step. He didn't know anything else, right? He still had other issues. How many of y'all know we still got issues, right? We're not, we're not all there yet. He still had other issues, but in that one thing that God laid on his heart, he knew to obey God in that one thing, right? Took, took this girl back to her mom's house. A week later, they got married at the Justice of the Peace. This was before I was a minister. <laughs> but uh, but um, took her a week later, he, they got married at the Justice of the Peace, and you know what? The guy's in ministry today. He, he obeyed God on step one. He didn't know anything else. He didn't know anything else, but he obeyed God on step one. 
and each step along the way, if you're willing to obey God for the next step and the next step and the next step, God will take you further than you ever dreamed. God will do more in your life than you ever thought possible. If you think, well, what's God going to do with me? That's who God can use. God uses common folks. Who did, who did the Lord pick for disciples? Fishermen. Not the scholars. Fishermen. Common folks. If you're a common folk, raise your hand. Amen. God can use you. God can use a humble person. And if you're willing to obey God step by step, God will do great things in your life. In your life. Amen. But it starts with a heart of obedience. Now, one of the things that, that we want to look at this morning is this concept of the loins girt about with truth. That's what our, our main text is that we're focusing on. Um, turn with me over to Luke chapter 12 real quick. I'm just going to take you, take you here in Luke 12 and show you something about this girding because, you know, that's a, uh, it's an older concept. Most guys today don't walk around with robes on, although it's, I think, the onesies or something there's coming back in style for guys but it's kind of strange but one of the things that you know we don't really walk around with robes and if we did we don't walk around ready for warfare in our robes um, but the girding is, is pretty interesting the girding is is whenever they would tie up their robes around their legs it, it what it did is it prepared them to be able to to be able to move really quick if they had to move if you had to run or you had to uh, respond really quick you were able to whereas if your robe was down to your feet you would be restricted in your movement and so if you remember the verse that we were looking at this morning is that we should have our loins girt about with truth and so we're going to look at this this aspect of the truth leading us and giving us freedom to maneuver in our lives. But I want to show you this aspect about the loins girt about and how Jesus relates it. In verse number um, verse number 35, Luke 12, verse 35. Look what Jesus says here. He says, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. The Lord is telling us that he expects us to live in a manner that our loins are girded about and our lights are burning. Now, he's not talking about a physical girding. He's talking about you being ready for his return. He's talking about you looking for him. So when the Lord is talking about you and I having our loins girded about and having our, our lamps burning, he's talking about your heart set on his return, not set on the cares of the world. If you think about just this passage right here, somebody could easily be concerned about the cares of the world and not looking for the return of their master. A lot of times it's easy in our lives. We get caught up in, you know, Republican versus Democrat, Cowboys versus Saints, this versus that, new car, new boat, new this, new that, new job. We get caught up in the things of the world, forgetting that our greatest, our greatest call is to live with our loins girded and our lamps burning, right? 
looking unto the return of the master. Because nothing else is going to matter when he parts the sky. Nothing else is, is going to matter when the trumpet sounds. Nothing else is going to matter on that day. And from this day to that day, God calls us. God calls us not to invest our lives in the saints versus cowboys. But to let our light burn for him. To look, is the master coming today? Is the master coming today? To live that way in our lives. This is a prayer life. This is a, 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 a you know, staying in the word of God. This is an obedient heart. But this is positioning ourselves to where we can keep our focus on God. You know, sometimes you've got to position yourself so that you can focus on God. Because, it, it, you know, there's times that you've got to turn the TV off. There's times you've got to tell your friends no. There's times that you've got to not spend your money on that stuff because it's going to take your heart with it. Just read the verse in front of that. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. You put all your money in your boat, guess where your heart's going to be? Not in the church. You put all your money in this, that, or the other, your heart is going to be after this, that, and the other. But God calls you to invest yourself in the kingdom of God. So sometimes we've got to tell our friends no. Sometimes we've got to turn off the TV. Sometimes we've got to do what we've got to do. Listen, please, to position ourselves so that we can focus on the master. Amen? Nothing else is more important. God never called you to position yourself so you can be a better uh, denominationalist or, you know, be a, better, be a better this or a better that so that you can see the master's coming. Getting everything in your life ready and pointed in that one direction where you're focused on Jesus. If you're not focused on Jesus, you're focused on the wrong thing. And I say that with all the love in my heart. I love you, and I want you to know that if, if anything is pulling you away from that, so the things that we do in our life have got to come underneath the overarching thing where our heart is set on the master, no matter what it is. Sometimes, you know, people are like, well, are you saying that we can't take our kids to baseball practice and this and that? Well, I'm not saying any of that. But once it comes between you and God, once it starts taking your attention off of the master, it's, an, it's a problem no matter what it is. It could be anything. It could be anything. And I want you to know, if you'll allow the devil to get you on one thing, he won't stop on one thing. Okay, so one of the things I wanted you to see about this is that the loins being girded is about a readiness. This is about a willingness. This is about a, an excitedness or an expectation. If a, if a person, if a, if a guy had his loins girded about in the Bible times, everybody was expecting him to take off running at any point. If, if your loins were girded about, everybody, everybody was looking at you saying, where are you going? What you doing? What are you waiting on? What are you, ex you're expecting something to happen. What are you expecting to happen? And so if you look at this spiritually, when people see our lives and they see that we're supposed to live a life that is girded about with truth, they should see that we're, we're pursuing the truth, which is Jesus at all costs. We're removing things out of our lives, sometimes on a daily basis that distracts us from seeing Jesus. 
Now, turn with, you, turn with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter number 2. We're going to get into the meat of this part right here. You ready for the meat? Say, I'm ready for the meat. All right, we're going to get into the meat of the, of, of the Lord's word right here. In 1 John chapter number 2, I want you to know something right now, is that the truth of God comes with an anointing. Everybody say anointing. The truth of God comes with an anointing. There's actually, there is a relationship between God's truth and God's anointing. If you're, if you're going to be a man or a woman of God that is anointed of God, you're going to walk and live in truth. If you're not willing to walk and live in truth, it's a false anointing. Anytime somebody says that they're anointed, there should, they should have a, a strong relationship with the truth. And anybody that has a strong relationship with the truth has a strong anointing on them. I'll show you this in just a second. So 1 John chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 24. It says, let that, now let me, let me just tell you that whenever the, the uh, Apostle John, one of the main things he was dealing with in, in this book in 1 John was um, Gnosticism, which is a denial of, of fundamental truths about who Jesus was. And so he wants, to, he wants to just kind of help them in this area. Verse number 24, he said, Let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Everybody say eternal life. That's the promise. The, the, the promise is that he's the first fruits. The promise is he's the first fruits. That just as that tomb was empty on that third day, there's going to be a day when your tomb's empty, when he calls you home. There's going to be a day, so you need to look at that and remember the greatest thing is eternal life, right? He's eternal life. That's the promise that he promised us, eternal life. Verse number 26 these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. How many of y'all know that that's, that is the, the MO, the modus operandi of the enemy? To seduce you? Seduce you. In other words, he gives you a lullaby. He lulls you to sleep. Right? He lulls you to sleep. He tries, he says, oh, that pastor, that pastor, he just gets too excited about that stuff. You don't have to be all that. You don't have to be all, you don't have to be all gung-ho. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Let me tell you something. The, the, the best way to not backslide is the front slide. I'm telling you right now, if you want to you try to live in the middle, the Lord said, remember what the Lord said about those that live in the middle? They're lukewarm. And he said, I will spew you out of my mouth. Best way not to backslide is the front slide. Get stuff out of you. And listen, if you're front sliding, you don't want anything to be in your way. So get things out of your way that, that come between you and Jesus. So the best way to not backslide is the front slide. Um, concerning them that seduce you, verse number 27. But the anointing, everybody say anointing. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. Now, you don't have to be a special Christian to, get the, to have the anointing. You have to be a, a Christian who has the truth, okay? We're not talking about some special minister that you got to go to Kansas City and get hands laid on. That's not what we're talking about. 
there's an anointing on every believer. There is an anointing. Now, there's greater anointing on some than others. The Spirit uses some more than others. But listen, it is about this association between you and the truth. Watch this. The anointing which you have, everybody say me. The anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth. What is the anointing? The anointing is truth. You see that? It teaches you all things and it is truth. What are we supposed to be, what are our loins supposed to be girt about with? Truth. The anointing will go before you when you're walking in truth. You know what the anointing does? Just wait. If you'll, if you'll be willing to walk in the truth, get your loins girt about with truth, you're going to see something amazing in just a second. You need not that any man teach you, but the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. The anointing is truth. Does he abide in you? Does he abide in you? Do you live and dwell in the truth, or do you allow the enemy to lie to you and manipulate you? One of the things I want you to see is that in this war that we're engaged in, there is one overarching thing the enemy wants to do. It is to get you to disengage from the battle. Because if you'll walk in the truth, you'll walk in victory, because our victory is in Jesus. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. But if the enemy can get between your ears, he will wear you down, he will deceive you, he will seduce you, and he will put you to sleep. He will put you to sleep spiritually. He will, in other words, he will put you on the sidelines if you'll let him. You have the victory in Jesus. You don't have to be a super Christian. You have to be an obedient Christian. But if you're willing to allow the enemy to lie to you, put you to sleep, and seduce you, right? He's going to put you on the sidelines. You know how many people are out fishing right now or watching ball games? I, and, and I, you know, I got, I, you know, there was a time in my life when I would spend Saturdays and Sundays at football stadiums. It didn't matter if it was 12 degrees. I would stand for four hours screaming like a banshee Indian. Four hours. Spent all money, all time, all my heart, right? You know there's people like that right now? You know what the enemy has done? is he has put so many believers on the sidelines because we've pursued everything else under the sun except for Jesus. We've pursued everything else under the sun except for Jesus, except for the truth. And one of the things that he does is he wears us down, manipulates us. Anytime you see somebody being manipulated, you know the enemy's behind it. A lot of times people get manipulated in churches. Get used. Let me say it like that. Get used. Manipulated. Manipulation is satanic. It's what the devil does. He manipulates. God leads you out of that stuff. God leads you into all truth. 
God causes you to walk by faith and not by sight, but the enemy manipulates you, wears you down, deceives you. He traps you, and he stops you. He stops you from becoming the man or the woman of God that, he's called, that God has called you to be. He stops you. And if we're, if we're honest, every person in here today could raise their hand and say, there's a time in my life when the enemy has stopped me. I have been stopped. I have been railroaded. Sometimes we get railroaded out of the, you know, just comes out of nowhere. And sometimes we know exactly where it's coming from. I don't know which one's worse because I've been through both. But I want you to know today, this can be a new day. Today can be a day that we reprioritize the truth of who God is. If we will be willing to reprioritize holding God's truth above everything else, the anointing will return. The anointing will return. Don't ever forget Samson's hair grew back. The anointing will return if you'll pursue God. If you'll reprioritize God, the anointing will return in your life. And you might never have walked in God's anointing. Well, you've been missing out. It's time to get started. It's time to get engaged. How many of you are tired of being railroaded by the enemy? Tired of being, tired of being in that place where the enemy is constantly wearing you down? One thing, one thing and one thing alone can keep you from being worn down. When God is anointing you. When God is anointing you. Now, here's something that I want, I want to just do a couple of things, a couple of points of reference that we're going to make um, along the way. Let's turn in your Bible over to John chapter number 16. I want to show you something about the truth. Something about the truth in John chapter number 16. Now, some of you may not have ever seen this before. That's why I want to make sure that I cover this. It's one of, probably, for New Testament Christianity, especially in the day and hour that we live in, this is probably one of the most important verses, to be honest. Not the most, but probably one of the most important verses. John chapter number 16, let me tell you this. Any empowerment that, the, that God gives you, any empowerment that God gives you, any gifting, any calling, God calls you to be a worship leader, a preacher, God calls you to be a faithful husband, a faithful wife, whatever it may be, a prayer warrior, whatever gifting God gives you. And how many of you know there's different gifts? We, we're not all the same. But any gifting that comes from God is going to be associated with what? Truth. There is no empowering from God without the truth. Look at verse number 13 of John 16. Let me show you a name for the Holy Spirit that most people don't call him today. How be it when he, the spirit of truth. How many, when was the last time you heard the Holy Spirit called the spirit of truth? Our generation is failing in this area. This, this generation right now in the church is failing in this area. Because he is the spirit of truth, not lies, not manipulation, not wickedness. He is the spirit of truth. Watch this. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he, and it's talking about the Holy Spirit, will guide you, Say everybody say me, 
He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into truth. He's not going to lead you. And, you know, one time I was uh, in, in a, you know, long time ago, far away, all that kind of stuff. One minister I know, he was single, right? The Lord is leading me to marry that married woman. That's not the Lord. That's not the Lord, right? The Lord leads you into truth, not into sin. And, and, and sometimes people say, well, you know, it's, it's the anointing and, you know, if God, God will look over that. God, no, no, no. Look, the Holy Spirit leads into truth. Truth. 100% truth. There's times in your life when you'll get tested in that area. 99% truth and 1% error is error. Come on. Well, God knows my heart. That should scare you. If that doesn't scare you, nothing will. Because God knows you better than you know you. You've forgotten a lot of the stuff you've done. It's recorded. God does know your heart. He does know my heart, right? That should strike fear in us. That should cause us to run to him. Run to him. Listen, please, the Holy Spirit will convict you. Conviction is way different than what Satan does. Satan condemns you. Condemnation tells you that you have failed for the last time. Condemnation says, see, told you you can't do it. See, you can't, you're no good. That's what condemnation does. That's what Satan does. He condemns. The Holy Spirit convicts. You know what conviction does? Conviction says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. See, you can hear the conviction whenever Jesus is speaking that. In, in Matthew 11, he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come unto me. That's what the Holy Spirit says. Come, 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 and I will give you rest. I will heal you. I will forgive you. I will give you a fresh start. I will give you a new beginning. I will make all things new. That's what the Holy Spirit does. How many of y'all really, really ready for a new beginning? Really ready for a new beginning, a new start. Amen? You know what? Yesterday's over. This morning's over. We should be walking in a new beginning right now. Right now. It should be a new start. You know what, God? I'm going to repurpose I'm going to rededicate everything about myself to you, Lord. Nothing else, nothing else should take preeminence over my dedication to you, right? Well, here's something about the truth. So we should have our loins, the verse number uh, in, in Ephesians 6, it says that our loins should be girt about with truth. We should be led by the truth. And Jesus said this too. And I, I'm just going to save some time here. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But preceding that, he said, if you're my disciples, you'll continue in my word. 
Most people forget that. Context means a lot. If you're my disciple, you'll continue in my word. That means you'll obey me. You'll follow me. When I say stop, you'll stop. When I say press on, you'll press on. When I say go, you'll go. When I say pray, you'll pray. If you'll continue in his word, you'll be his disciple and you'll know the truth. Then you'll know the truth. One of the keys, most people don't see this. One of the keys to knowing the truth is having an obedient heart. If you're not willing to have an obedient heart, it's all the knowledge you're going to get is up here. Let me show you this. Go over to John chapter 8. I feel like I need to to take you here. Go to John chapter 8, verse 31. John chapter 8, verse 31. I want to show you this. It says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. So are they believers? Are you a believer? Is there either there's neither Jew nor Gentile, right? In Christ. Okay, so if we're believers, we're believers. Period. All right. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, that's obedience, then are you my disciples indeed. Is there a period in your Bible right there? There's not a period. So this next verse has to include this first part. Most people don't realize that. Most people just say, yeah, you're going to know the truth and the truth will make you free. But if you're not obeying God, it's all intellectual. It's all intellectual if you're not willing to walk in obedience to God. If you're not willing to continue in his word, continue walking in obedience to God, everything you know will be right up here. I can tell you right now, there was times in my life when I would be drunk at 2 in the morning arguing theology with some of my friends at the bar. Because everything I knew was right up here. It wasn't until I surrendered, received forgiveness, and obeyed God that it went down to here. And you'll always be stuck. The enemy wants you to be stuck at a bar at 2 in the morning arguing theology with folks. He wants you to be disengaged from the battle. He wants to keep you on the sideline. He wants to keep you away from the call that God has on your life. If you'll allow him to keep it all up here, that's fine with him. It's only when you start obeying, when your loins start getting girt about with the truth, when you start, in other words, when you start walking in the truth, the enemy cannot stop you. If you'll walk in the truth, the enemy can't stop you. But if you won't obey God, he's got you right where he wants you. And you'll be right where I was, two in the morning, drunk as a skunk, arguing theology. What good did that do? Didn't help me none because I wasn't ready to obey God, wasn't ready to trust God, wasn't ready to surrender to God. I want you to see this. Look at this, verse 31. He said to those Jews that believe, if you continue in my word, then, everybody say then. Then are you my disciples indeed. 
and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See, the truth has got to be associated with this heart that's willing to obey God, willing to walk after God, willing to go where God says go. The truth is going to be associated with a heart of obedience, a ready heart of obedience. And if you're not ready to obey God, you're not ready to walk in freedom. If you're not ready to obey God, you're not ready to walk in freedom. You can't handle it. God won't give you freedom until you're ready to obey and surrender. It's available to all, but the cost is surrender. Come on now. It's available to all, but you've got to surrender all. You've got to surrender all. All right. We're going to go to one more place. Go to Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10. Look at verse number 27. Isaiah 10, verse 27. What is the anointing for? Is it just to help you stand holler? Is the anointing just to, to, to make you be one of those funny-looking Christians? Then you can get on Facebook and sell a conference for $100 and a free T-shirt? What, why do you need the anointing? Why do you need the anointing? The anointing, right, if you remember, it's associated with truth. You're supposed to walk with your loins girt about with truth. The truth makes you free when you're obeying God. Look at verse 27. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be played with. The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. If you'll walk in obedience to God, Every yoke that Satan puts on you will be destroyed in Jesus' name. Pornography's got to go in Jesus' name. Homosexuality's got to go in Jesus' name. Depression has got to go in Jesus' name. Every dark thing that every demon can put on you has got to go in Jesus' name. The anointing will destroy every yoke. Praise be to God. Every dark thing that the enemy seeks to destroy you with will be destroyed itself by the truth of God. The anointing of God will break the yoke of the enemy off of your life once and for all. When God breaks that thing off, it, you're totally set free totally set free every depression every dark thought every demonic thought has got to go in jesus name god doesn't require you to god doesn't require you to pass a theology test he doesn't require you to to sow a seed into a certain ministry he tells you to obey him to walk in the truth amen Walk in the truth. Let your loins be girt about with truth and the anointing will break every yoke before you in Jesus' name. 
in Jesus' name. See, it's not in your strength. You don't have the strength to combat those things. You can't stop doing those things. You can't stop. You know, that's the problem with most people. Most people say, I'll come to church once I get my life cleaned up, you know. Well, once I stop doing what I got to get all this out of my system. You can't get it all out of your system. Only God can destroy the yoke off of you. Only God can destroy that yoke off of you. It's the anointing that comes from God. And when God destroys it, it don't come back. It don't come back. Come on now. It don't come back. You don't, you don't need Nicorette when you got the anointing. You won't need a filter on your computer when you've got the anointing of God girding you about in truth. It's the anointing that will do those things. You see, you put a Christian in an environment like that, it, it, it's like putting those uh, Mentos in a Coke. You just, you'll shake the place up. You'll shake the place up. I remember one time in my life, I was at, a, at one of my work environments. I was, I was, I, I kid you not, I was the only believer there. And I was a supervisor. And I was required to go to supervisor meetings. And, never, and, and think about this too, I was the youngest one. Youngest one, only Christian, required to go to these meetings. And this is what would happen every time. We're going to get him today. And they would start telling dirty jokes right in the middle of the, in the meeting. And you know what? The job's not worth it for me. I'm not allowing that filth into my life. I would get up and I would walk out. I would get up and walk out. You know what it did? It, it, it was like, it, was, it would stick in there. I mean, it was the worst thing I could have done, right? I mean, it just got under everybody's skin. Then they tried everything they could do to try to get me to, you know, be upset with them, right? Tried to get under my skin because I was getting under theirs just because I was a Christian. And you know what? Today, I can't tell you how many of those people have called apologize are believers today. Stuff like that impacts them. Stuff like that will impact the world. If you'll be willing to live in obedience to God and let the truth of God girt you about and lead you and guide you, there is no telling what God will do in your life. God will do great things through you, not because of you, but because the anointing that will be on your life. Every, every single yoke that the enemy has tried to place on you will be broken, and every yoke around you will begin to break off of other people's lives. That's the power of God at work in our lives. The light always dispels the darkness. The darker the world gets, the brighter the light shines. You may not have the prettiest voice, but God's given you a voice and let it roar. Let the light of God shine. Let the trumpet begin to blow, amen? And let the church rise up and be the church to the world. The church is supposed to be a city set on a hill with the light shining. Let the church be the church. Come on. You've got what the world needs. But the problem with us is we've been sidelined because we're not willing to walk in the truth anymore. We've been sidelined. We've been set on up. We've been put in a deluge from the enemy. 
with despair and all that kind of stuff, all kind of that stuff. But all of that has got to go when the anointing of God comes. And if you're ready, willing, and able, God will put that anointing on you today in Jesus' name, and it'll break every yoke off of your life. Amen? You don't have to, you don't have to be a, a, a who's who to get the anointing of God. You got to be a whosoever. God's not looking for who's who. He's looking for whosoever. Are you a whosoever? Are you, are you a whosoever? God's here. And God, God can do great things in your life today if you'll receive him. If you'll walk in obedience, God will set you free. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to hear your word.